Welcome to the Dungeons and Dragons podcast. I'm your host, Rodney Thompson, and with me today are Peter Lee. Hello. And Chris Dupuy. How come I didn't get to be the host? Because I'm the host. Today we'll be talking about Origins and Scoundrels of Skullport, so let's talk about some games. So recently, Peter and I went to the Origins convention in Columbus, Ohio, one of my personal favorite gaming conventions. Pete, uh, was that your, no, that was not your first time at Origins, right? Uh, it was my right? third time there. Really? Okay. So you went last year, right? Went last year. Now, did you go, did you ever go before you came to Wizards of the Coast? I came once uh, as a judge for a Dini Miniatures back really? in 2005 or so. Back in back in the dark ages of 2005? Yes. Okay. Yes. Now, Chris, did you go to Origins last year? Is that right? Yeah, I went with Pete last year. Yep. Cool. All right. So we've all been to the convention. It's one of my favorites. I actually really love Origins because when I was freelancing, it was a great place to go and actually, you know, meet some of the people I'd be working with. And now I love it because it's a great con to go and play games at. I know that even this year with us going there and, and being as busy as we were, I actually got a fair bit of gaming time in this time. Mm-hmm. So did I. Yeah, it was uh, it was really great. They've done an awesome job of keeping the convention going. Uh, Columbus is a great town, but the big reason that I think we were there was mostly to show off the hot off the presses uh, production copy of Scoundrels of Skullport. That's correct. It's the uh, the first uh, big expansion for Lords of Waterdeep, mm-hmm. and Pete and I basically spent our entire uh, three four days at the convention carrying around a copy of the expansion and. And uh, seeing who would notice. Yep. Uh, it, it was not extremely structured. No, no. It was it was a lot of fun. We'd walk into an elevator and people would see us carrying this and they'd be, oh, is that out yet? You know, it's not out till August. Oh, how did you get it? We're one of the designers. Oh, that's awesome. I love that game. You know, and it was it was really exciting to see uh, how people uh, were were. Uh, happy with Waterdeep and and that uh, an expansion was coming. Yeah, I was actually really surprised. I I don't think it's exaggerating to say that we did not make it from our room to anywhere we were going carrying the box without at least one person stopping us to comment on it. A yep. um, lot of great response to Waterdeep at the convention, and of course, uh, we were we were sort of being a little sneaky because we were carrying around Skullport uh, Scoundrels of Skullport under our arm. And or you know whoever's carrying the box, and not really you know advertising. Hey, we brought this here, but uh, a surprising number of people would sort of do the double take, yeah. right? And like, oh, oh, that guy's got water deep. Wait a minute, that's not just water deep. Uh, but that was actually it was really great just to get the the you know. People at the convention stopping us and flagging us down and saying, you know, hey, we really like the game and are excited about the expansion. So I think if nothing else, I enjoyed going to the convention to spend some time with the people that actually play the games that, that we design. And that's always one of my favorite parts of any convention, really. Yeah, I agree. That that's that's really the exciting part about going to a new convention is it's always good to to show off the new and exciting stuff that you have to uh, reveal. But it's really, really a lot of fun to sit down and play with the fans with product that is not only exciting, but they've also they really enjoy playing it and just getting to sit down and play with them is a lot of fun. Yeah, I know, and Peter, you can probably agree with me here, but I have not yet grown tired of playing Lords of Waterdeep, which is occasionally miraculous for something that, you know, we've played this much, right? I, I can't think of another game, I have another board game I've played more than Waterdeep. But uh, the best part about the convention was playing the game with people I don't play with all the time, playing the game with people that had just bought the game in the store or played at their local game 
game store because it was so it, it's so nice to meet other people that are just enjoying the game and and actually get to play with them right i mean that that's a lot of fun yeah there's a lot of people who for for them it's their first time seeing it we've been playing it for um, maybe uh, a year a and time. a half in in some cases so uh, uh, it's it's great to see you know new eyes looking at at the, the game and, and seeing the the wonder that they have with with the things that are, are are coming out. Yeah, one of my favorite moments from the show was we were walking through uh, the the hotel bar and restaurant area, and I think I was carrying the box uh, the the expansion box up to my hotel room, and from basically two hundred feet away, someone basically screams, "Oh my gosh, is that the new expansion?" And it comes running across the <laughs> bar, and it was uh, it was pretty awesome to to get that kind of excitement out of somebody yeah. because I mean it's really easy when you work on something day in and day out to forget that for a lot of people who aren't exposed to it constantly, it is this sort of new and exciting thing. But, you know, for, for the three of us especially, we have been done working on this product for, you know, almost a year basically by the time that by the time it gets out into stores mm. just because of the, the nature of production times. Yeah. But yeah, we we played a lot of games at the con. We played the the uh, the base game and the expansion at the the show a lot. Mm-hmm. We had some seminars that mm-hmm. went really well, mm-hmm. um, very well attended. I was super pleased with all the people that came out. So if anyone's listening that came to either of our two seminars, I want to thank you personally because that was really great to get get a chance to interact with you in that kind of environment. Uh, Pete can attest that. Yep. That seminar attendance at Origins is not always uh, super high just because Origins is a great con to play games at, and people are usually busy actually playing games. So getting the turnout we did, we were very, very happy. So thank you to everyone that came to that. Uh, And I I think perhaps it's it's, uh, uh, obvious to say, but the highlight of the show for me was the Origins Awards. Yeah. Uh, Lords of Waterdeep was nominated for uh, Best Board Game in the mm-hmm. Origins Award, and uh, we won. Yep. Yay. Yay. I had butterflies in my stomach the whole morning. I'm like, oh, I hope I get it. I hope we win. Pete you was know. kind of a nervous wreck, yeah. actually, yeah. all day. <laughs> <laughs> he was he was something of a disaster. Yeah. Was, Pete, keep it together, man. No. Yeah, but we, uh, yeah, we took home the best board game uh, Origins mm-hmm. Award, which uh, is actually that's, my first Origins Award for game design. And that's actually a streak for us, right? It's a streak for Peter Lee, especially. Yeah, <laughs> that is my third Origins Award for board games in a, in a, in a row. Yes, and uh, so, so Pete completes the hat trick. That's of, pretty, pretty uh, awesome. What were the previous two? Uh, last year was Conquest and Wrath, and the year before was uh, Castle Ravenloft. Oh, yeah, that's right. Well, I, I just want to say, again, thank you to everyone who voted for the game. Thank you for the folks at Gamma and Origins who made the convention so welcoming at, and who made the Origins Awards uh, so great. I know I'm extremely honored to have won the award, and and uh, on behalf of uh, everyone who worked on the game, because as I as I got to say at the awards, it wasn't just you know Pete and I working on the game. There were developers and art directors and a lot of people who put a lot of hard work into the game. Uh, I want to thank all of them and then thank you know everyone that was responsible for uh, helping us win the award because it is truly a great honor to win. Yeah. 
So as we mentioned earlier, the main reason we were at uh, Origins was to show off Scoundrels of Skullport, uh, which, if you haven't heard yet, uh, is the first expansion for Lords of Waterdeep, as I mentioned earlier. And uh, it is something that we've kind of had the the first inklings of what we wanted to put in the expansion uh, rattling around in our minds, even as early as uh, the design of the base game. I mean, you can even see there are a few hints in the base Lords of Waterdeep game that we were kind of thinking, hey, you know, if this does well, we might want to expand on this. We had done some preliminary tests when we were doing development of Lords of Waterdeep uh, to see if it was possible to go to six players. Uh, We didn't have uh, the components uh, for it in the base game, but we knew that uh, with, you know, playing these these games with uh, an extra board with a couple of, of new spaces that you could play the game with uh, uh, six players. Right. And so that was sort of the, I would say that's the genesis of, uh, of Scoundrels of the Skullport was the idea that, you know, well, you know, we think we could take this game up to six players, but we need more to go yeah. with it to make that work. So that was really where we got started on the expansion. And uh, then over time, through design and development, it expanded more and more. And now uh, we've got the, the finished product is actually coming out in August, and it is actually two expansions in one. Uh, we call the the overall box Scoundrels of Skullport, but inside the box are two smaller expansions, one of which is themed for Skullport, and the other which is themed for uh, Undermountain, both of which are important locations in in Waterdeep. Uh, you guys listening to this podcast who play board games probably are familiar with this uh, multiple expansions in one box uh, idea. If you've played Pandemic or uh, Alhambra, are two examples of other board games that have done this same kind of, you buy one box, but it's got multiple different expansions in it. And I think that the thing that's sort of most exciting to us about that is the, just like anything else uh, in Lords of Waterdeep, we've sort of built it for replayability and, and making sure that every time we add something to the game, it's contributing to that feeling of excitement of something different every time you play. Um, so, Pete, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, how we went from three expansions down to two? Because I think that was uh, a story that people might be interested to hear. Sure. So when we first uh, started with the design, we originally thought this would be three little game modules in one. And the original design had uh, asymmetric components where one of the expansions was primarily around buildings and another one was primarily around entry cards and the third one was uh, primarily around a new uh, component that was uh, corruption. Now the corruption one really felt fleshed out because you had new buildings, you had new entry cards, and it, it just felt really cohesive. But when you looked at the new building expansion and the new entry expansion, they didn't really have any any other uh, considerable uh, components. They felt a little a little flat. They didn't feel like there was enough of a new experience. But when we combined those two uh, expansions, it was at the time it was uh, Luskin and, and Undermountain. When we combined those two modules into one, it, it felt right. It felt it, it, the, the two happened to go together really well, and it felt like a complete expansion. And so that is why we went from from three to two. Uh, the big thing is a lot of the times that we don't know when we start where we're going to end up. And that's part of the discovery. And that was one of the things we, we, we found out. 
Yeah, I think that the the Skullport expansion, which as Pete mentioned, deals a lot with a, a new mechanic called corruption. And uh, to, to sketch it out briefly, corruption is a, a new resource, but it's actually a negative resource in that at the end of the game, if you have any corruption in your tavern, you actually lose points. But any of the action spaces or cards or quests that give you corruption as a result also give you some pretty saucy rewards. But adding a whole new component, adding a whole new resource to the the game sort of necessitated that we integrate it into not only, you know, the entry cards, but also the quests and also the buildings and also the expansion board. I mean, there was in order to integrate a whole new resource, you need to make it a complete experience. And every part of the game needs to touch on this new mechanic because that's the way it is with all of our other resources. I mean, it's not like you can't get fighters from intrigue cards or something like that. It's it's always been, you know, from the very beginning, uh, corruption demanded a more cohesive experience. And I think that that was sort of a case of the one mechanic that we really were excited about brought that whole expansion module together, whereas it was sort of the reverse situation like you were talking about with Undermountain, where we had these smaller components, and it wasn't until we combined them that we saw the direction it was heading in. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was, I I think that was one of those cases where we had two paths to the same location, um, and both of them ended up giving us something really exciting. Um, so we've talked a little bit about the the Skullport module, um, and I know Chris, you uh, you were just flipping through the cards before the podcast here, and I know you were looking at some of the Undermountain cards, weren't you? Yes, I was. Uh, so why don't you tell people what the Undermountain Undermountain expansion is all about? We've talked about Skullport being about corruption and a negative resource, and uh, adding a little bit more strategy to the game. Why don't you tell people a little bit about what to expect from the Undermountain expansion? The Undermountain expansion, when I Uh, give the elevator pitch to people is it's all about bigger things more. Bigger quest rewards, bigger resources flying around the board, uh, just an all-around larger Waterdeep experience. As opposed to Skullport, where you're getting you're getting kind of saucy rewards um, at the expense of having to either accept the corruption or have to deal it out later and get rid of it. With Undermountain, you're just getting bigger stuff. You're sharing resources all around the board. We're taking we're taking resources, and you're getting two clerics by going to a building, but you're also taking a cleric and putting it on an action space. And you can do that really strategically and kind of combo two placements together so that way you can, uh, you know, get your two clerics and then put it on a space that you're immediately going to replace from Waterdeep Harbor. Or you can... Uh, kind of bait your buildings, put a put a uh, put a resource on a building that you want someone else to take, so you'll get the owner's benefit. Or maybe uh, keep resources away from a space that you want to take later. Uh, there's a, there's a lot of of tactical and strategic elements to uh, sharing resources in this way, and it allows us to really kick up the rewards that a lot of our quests, buildings, and intrigue cards are giving out. On top of that, we have a, a couple of cool uh, mechanics on the. Uh, uh, on the quest cards, uh, one of which is we have a plot quest cycle uh, in this expansion that works similarly to a plot quest cycle in the main game, uh, where when it's in the main game, uh, when you complete a quest of a certain type, you get extra victory points. Well, this cycle is when you gain a 
a quest of a certain type, you get the associated resource. So when you gain a piety quest, you'll get a cleric. When you gain a commerce quest, you gain a you gain uh, gold. And so what this allows you to do when you get this quest uh, completed is it allows you to start snowballing these quest types because you can just really focus on that avenue and you don't have to spend two agents to get the quest and get one of the main resources because it's all tied together. And all of a sudden, gaining quests is a way to get resources. And so that kind of exemplifies the idea of where, you know, we're taking the the agent placement and just kicking up the, the way you can allocate resources out because of that. Um, we've also got some crazy quest cycles. Uh, we've got a commerce quest called Threaten the Builders Guild uh, that the reward is immediately put all face-up buildings in the building in the builders hall into play under your control at no cost. Yes, the the Gonzo quest cycle, I believe, is what we call it. <laughs> that is the that is what we called it. Um, but th- these kind of quests are just very very expensive. And while they may not look that crazy in terms of victory point gain, if you combo it at the right time with the right opportunity, you can just you can just jump across the board. Yeah, I think Honor Mountain is really good at uh, sort of accelerating what we call the engine building aspect of the game in that we're providing new ways to get the resources you need, to complete the quests you need, that in turn give you rewards that you capitalize on in different ways. And I think that Under Mountain especially is is sort of like, uh, okay, you know how to build an engine. You know how to build a car. And that most cars run on gasoline. When you add Under Mountain, this car now runs on dynamite, right? It's just, <laughs> uh, just sort of... A lot more uh, bigger, unexpected things. And I want to actually back up a little bit because you kind of glossed over a mechanic that I think is really interesting that we see both in Undermountain and in in Skullport, and that is the placement mechanic. Uh, It's a new mechanic that we've developed for these uh, these two expansions where certain uh, entry cards and buildings and quests will tell you to take a resource and place it on an action space on the board. And what that does is the next person to take that action space also takes that resource. So as Chris alluded to earlier, it means that you can make certain spaces more attractive, or in the case of the Skullport expansion, where you're actually placing corruption on the board, you can make certain spaces less attractive. And I actually think that's one of the most interesting mechanics we've, we cooked up for these two expansions, because it's not only you know, sort of strategic and that you have to think long-term. It's also highly interactive. And we always talk about how we wanted Waterdeep from the very beginning to be a very a very interactive game. We never wanted you to feel like you were just playing solitaire, four-player solitaire, right? Mm-hmm. But the, the placement mechanic, I think, is a way to look at... Uh, look at the game from an interactive standpoint and see that the things that I do will affect the things that the other players will do. Yeah, it really kicks up the the idea of alliances too because you know, you'll often play the intrigue card that allows you to give a fighter to someone else or give a cleric to someone else. And all of a sudden there's this table talk about, well, you, you got to you got to help this guy cuz he's in front or I helped you last time. When you've got that wizard that someone desperately needs and you're trying to figure out which building it needs to go on, that it just amplifies that uh, that interaction. Yeah. Now, uh, Pete, we actually talked about it a little bit at the seminar uh, at Origins, but uh, do you want to tell people about the the origin of that uh, that particular mechanic? Oh yeah, it's been so that, long. Yeah, I know, yeah. right? Oh, I mean, you know, man. you work you work on something a year and a half ago, and you forget how everything started. But uh, yeah. yeah, I totally forgot. So one of the one of the uh, things that Rodney handed over to development was an idea uh, of cooperative buildings, and these were buildings that had uh, two actions spaces where you didn't get anything until 
agents were assigned to uh, each of the squares. And in playtesting, we found that people, as, as good as they were, people um, didn't... F- didn't use them, especially newer players. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we we tried out was instead of uh, having the, the the cooperative nature of the the, the space being on uh, the building all by itself, you would place a resource on another action space. So you would in in fact turn something else on the board into into a, a de facto cooperation uh, right. space, and that. Made it. You got the resources immediately, so people were more excited about using it to in, in the first place. And then you could also guide uh, another player's action at the same time. And and they were it, it filled a similar niche in the game, but it was uh, played a lot more. And a mechanic that isn't played is is tough to include in the game. So we we made the switch, and and the game uh, got a lot better. So, uh, in addition to you know the two expansions that have all their own mechanics, there are also some things in the box that work for every game you're going to play. Uh, there is a, as we mentioned earlier, the ability to have a sixth player in the mm-hmm. game. Uh, you can add the Gray Hands faction, which is uh, gray-colored agents, to the game, and uh, I think that. Uh, the six-player six-player portion of the, the expansion is one of the most frequently requested uh, expansions I see because I know a lot of people end up having game groups that's like, well, you know, maybe we play D&D most nights and it's a DM and five players, but if we want to you know, play a board game instead, it's tough because there's not a lot of six-player board games out there. So I think we're all we, – we were very sensitive to that fact when we started putting this – even the base game together yeah. uh, and, and our – are looking forward to seeing how people enjoy playing with six players because it does lengthen the game a little bit, but I think that's uh, that's okay. I mean, yeah. if you're playing with six players, you're accepting yeah. that. One other really exciting thing that I'm really happy that we were able to include is there's an extra agent for each color. Uh, so there's actually six uh, gray hand agents, and there's an extra agent, the sixth agent for each other color. So that way, if you wanted to play uh, what we call the longer game as a two-player game, and you wanted to include some of these extra spaces, it keeps that pressure up in a two-player game. And that's one of uh, really the highlights of uh, Lords of Waterdeep is that it plays so well across the entire range of players. Uh, my wife and I often play the two-player game of Lords of Waterdeep, and it's just as exciting as a five-player game. Another thing I wanted to mention with regards to the expansion is that uh, the, in the rule book, we've actually taken some steps to make sure that a lot of the material that was in our frequently asked questions have actually made it into this rule book. So for those picking up this expansion, wanting to make sure you have the most up-to-date rules, this uh, rule book in the Scoundrels of Skullport expansion does have uh, the frequently asked questions that we have on our website uh, and also some new information that is uh, relevant to the Scoundrels of Skullport expansion itself. And to go back to your earlier comment about replayability, when you open up this box, uh, and, and one, of the, one of the greatest things about uh, Waterdeep uh, is, is the awesome way the tray is laid out. When you open up this box, uh, Skullport has a, a similar feel to the tray. Uh, you know, you take, out, you take out the cardboard pieces, and, and it's laid out almost uh, in two with all of the, the, air, the components that are shared across the two right in the middle. And then it's got trays for the intrigue cards, the quests, the buildings, and the lords for each expansion on either side. And so when you crack open Skullport and you're going to add it into your Lords of Waterdeep game, uh, it's easy to just 
pick a side. We're going to play Skullport, we're going to play Undermountain, and shuffle the cards together and you play. Uh, but we also introduced uh, a way to mix the two together, uh, which creates a, a, a crazy experience. Because once you've played Skullport and you've played Undermountain and you've gotten a feel for how those games play and you're used to uh, you know certain quests coming out and you're, you know you're looking for that one, uh, that one corruption quest that allows you to get rid of the three corruption because you need that one. Uh, when you put both of them together and you use both modules in a game, it it is a really exciting experience uh, because not only do you have both uh, expansion boards out, you're playing with corruption, you're playing with resources being shared around the board, uh, you know, you're playing uh, unexpected success from uh, Undermountain where you draw two intrigue cards and you can play them immediately, uh, where you have all this crazy excitement from the expansions, but you're also playing them with half of the base game components. That's right. Uh, so the quests that you've come to know and love. The Magister's Orb just might not come out this game. Uh, Griffin Cavalry, you never know. Uh, and and it creates this kind of hectic, uh, this hectic game experience that just feels so fresh and so new because you're so used to the, the, the components from the base game and you have no idea what's coming out in this, in the game with two modules. Yeah, I, I think that me personally, when I play the game, I tend to like playing not only the longer version of the game, but also uh, I, I think I like mixing the two expansions a lot, personally. When when we finally, after, when Pete and I were working on development and we finally had, uh, we, we had everything all set up and it was, everything was clicking, it was working just right, and we said, all right, let's, let's finally see how this works and we put it together and we started playing and oh my god it was so much fun <laughs> yeah. I can't wait to see what happens when people out in the in the wilds of, of the world of board gaming start playing with both expansions because I just know that no matter how much we think we know what to expect from that there's going to be crazy things that happen that will surprise and delight people so yeah. I'm really I mean I'm always excited to see one of my games get out there for people to play but I'm particularly excited about this one because I think we take we've taken the Lords of Waterdeep formula, which people seem to really, really like, if, if Origins is any uh, mm -hmm. indication. Uh, and we've kind of turned it up to 11 in a lot of ways. Yeah. And uh, also then we threw dynamite in it. <laughs> <laughs> because so, why not? Right, because why not? That's what you do in your yeah. game designer. You throw yeah. dynamite at things. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm really excited uh, about this uh, expansion. The expansion comes out in August, which seems really far away right now, but I'm sure we'll be here before we know it. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm, I'm jazzed for people to get to play and uh, hope that while I'm at Gen Con this year, I will get a chance to play Skullport with some more people. So since Mike and Jeremy have foolishly left me in charge of the podcast, uh, I've decided to hijack the last five or ten minutes of the podcast to talk about my campaign. Uh, because Chris and Pete, both here, are players in my Tuesday night campaign, uh, this is a good opportunity for us to tell people a little bit about what we personally are, are doing with D&D Next. Uh, for a little setup. Uh, just so everyone knows, on Tuesday nights, I run a campaign for uh, folks that work here in the Wizards of the Coast offices set in the world of Greyhawk. Uh, I'm running what I call the Gospel According to Gary, so only things written by Gary Gygax are canon up to this point. 
but, uh, but Pete and Chris uh, are both players in this campaign, and I originally started it as a, a playtest because, you know, we need mm-hmm. to test D&D Next in not only the sort of fast-paced, stress-testing environment that we test in here at the office, but also in the more traditional adventure and campaign uh, playtesting uh, that, you know, is more like how people will use it out in the wilds. Also, it's a really convenient excuse to uh, convince my fiancé that I need to have another night of gaming. Because uh, he didn't have enough of those already. Right, yes, I'm so deprived. <laughs> but anyways... Uh, I don't want to go into too much detail about the events of the campaign because otherwise I would be spending the next hour talking about that. But I I would like to ask you guys some questions about your experiences in the game so far. And Now, Pete, we always identify Pete as a Watcher player. Yeah, uh, that's and, correct. And the Watcher archetype is the person who sort of sits back and observes the game and mm-hmm. participates at leisure. Now, you, you self-identify as a yeah, watcher, right? Yeah, I definitely right? do. Uh, can you tell people why you think you play like that? Um, some of it is, you know, you come into Wizard of the Coast, and uh, these are these fantastically uh, famous game designers, and you're like, <laughs> what sort of role player are, are you to be hanging around with these guys? I mean, I've, I've been here for five years, and I, I, I still am awed by uh, the abilities to of, of Mike <laughs> to, to oh spout Shakespearean gibberish throughout a campaign uh, right off the top of his head and I don't understand how he can even do that um, and what I love by the way is that you are three time Origins Award winning game designer <laughs> Peter Lee intimidated by other game designers yeah, at, at, at Wizards <laughs> that's true that's true so, uh, but you're, you're a watcher character yeah. and uh, and Pete tell me about your character right now I'm uh, I'm playing a, a rogue a human rogue uh, and the typically I like one part of my character that is is very straight down Right down the fairway, something that that is, that is very typical. But then I, I usually like some sort of twist, and uh, the way that I got the twist in this character was through backgrounds. And my my rogue is a a sage in this right. case, uh, so that that little decision on being a sage and and more precisely to to be a master of, of forbidden lore uh, <laughs> gave the character a, a very Cthulhu esque feel yeah. to him. So I. I Used to play a ton of Call of Cthulhu, so I'm used to playing uh, characters that that fighting is not always the primarily thing to do. And in fact, if you fight, you typically go crazy and die. So my character is definitely not someone you would you would associate as being a, a fighter, but someone that is more of a, an investigator. Yeah, I think we usually describe him as he's sort of like the wormy guy from uh, the Mummy, right? Yeah, the, yeah. the sort of skeezy, uh, creepy, paranoid guy. Yeah. And I, I think creepy, paranoid are probably like the two best adjectives to yeah. ascribe to Walter. That's definitely true. Yeah, that's definitely true. Now, Chris, uh, Chris, you're actually uh, are you the you're the the newest uh, Wizards of the Coast employee at my table, aren't you? That is true. Wow, so you're the rookie. I I am. And we treat you like And one. it shows. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rookie, uh, why don't you tell folks uh, about your character in my campaign? Uh, so, my character, Slaren, is a high elf uh, ranger. Uh, started out as a fighter because we didn't have the ranger designed yet. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. He started out as an archer fighter. Uh, and then, finally, when the ranger class was available, I was able to upgrade him, uh, which is great because now I can track, which we are in the middle of our, our yes. cliffhanger last week was me... Uh, was uh, Slaren 
tracking the big bad who had just gone invisible in a muddy uh, battlefield. That's and right. We, we were about to run off to uh, chase him down. Yes. Um, I, I would like to point out that I feel like Slaren uh, has been kind of a rock star in this current adventure because we've been making really heavy use of the exploration rules, which means that since uh, the ranger is quite good at exploring and uh, overland travel, I feel like you have, have definitely, even though you might have missed a few sessions, have been kind of a super Superstar, this adventure. Oh, it's a lot better than my experience in the combat section, where I, you know, <laughs> just randomly kill townsfolk. Because I don't know if it was random. Yeah, well, he I, was I'm shooting pretty, at I'm me. pretty sure it was quite deliberate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would also like to point out that uh, in the in this last session, you uh, you had the magic bullet and uh, you used oh, it. What was that? That was a two, wasn't it? <laughs> that was a two. That yes. was a two. Yes. So the the story I'm alluding to here is uh, Chris. His character came into possession of an arrow of, of slaying that was given to him uh, by their patron to use to assassinate his rival. Unfortunately, due to the chaos that is my campaign, uh, their patron was then killed by another player character. And so, uh, Chris, you found yourself walking around with a random arrow of slaying that uh, you, you'd been it, sort of quietly saving it, for... It took me all of three nights to bring it back out. No, I, I think it's been four sessions since. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, you know, you sort of you're like, oh yeah, okay, I'm going to keep this thing and, and put it in my backpack, and you haven't really talked about it, and then you brought it out, and what happened? Yeah, it was awesome because uh, the big bad, which we are now chasing, spoiler alert, it didn't work. Uh, <laughs> he's he's tearing through us, and he's got this cloak on him that's that's deflecting our attacks. Oh, the, and, you mean the living shadow cloak? Yes, yes, that one. His familiar? Yes. Uh, and he's got all these minions that are attacking all the army, that, that are attacking the uh, soldiers we're with, and in the middle of this melee, I'm thrown back by a thunder wave, and I pull the arrow out, and I say, Lord Rickard says hello, and I loose my arrow... Two. And roll a two. <laughs> and it goes sailing off into the night. And it was this... Into, into the dark, muddy night. <sighs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look for it. It's totally gone, though. <laughs> well, now you have to decide if you want to actually continue to track and pursue the bad guy or go find that arrow of slaying. Yeah. Don't worry. There'll be some ally guard off in the distance with the arrow of slaying <laughs> sticking him. It's all Slaren's fault. Yep. Yeah. Well, I, I'm really enjoying the campaign, and uh, I think that... Uh, you know, if playtesting is work, this is the most fun I have working pretty much every week. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is, it, it is something I look forward to every other week. I, I am sad on the weeks that we, are, that we don't play. Yeah. Well, that about wraps it up for this episode of the D&D Podcast. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. If you enjoyed the show or want to send us some of your feedback, you can email us at dndinsider at wizards.com, or you can check out the D&D Next playtest on dndnext.com. On behalf of Peter Lee and Chris Dupuy, I'm Rodney Thompson, and thanks for listening.